podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to FYP episode 514. I'm your host, Jack Pierce, and this week we're talking about last night's gutting defeat to Chelsea, discuss some positive performances, answer your questions, play another round of 321, and preview next Monday night's trip to Goodison Park. Joining us for all of that and probably much more, making his first appearance of 2024, it's Andy Bell. Andy, how are you? Good, e- good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you may be. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good, thanks. I'm I'm going to attack this with, po- with positivity. That's what Lovely. I'm going to do. The, the dust has settled somewhat. 20, what are we, 20, 20 hours on. 19 hours on from Conor Gallagher. Anyway, we'll come on to that, <laughs> that bloke in a minute. Uh, and making up the trio, it's of course Joe Walker. Are you well, Joe? Yes, I'm all right. You know, I've had the day to, that, that those many hours to dwell and, and, and sit on it. I'm okay. There are worse feelings. We've come away from games. I mean, that, I mean, it was a horrible end, but I've, I've somehow in in the in the bleak midwinter found some hope, a little glimmer in there. So it's it's not it's not great, but oh gosh, the the bar has been so low recently that I'm pretty chipper. I like it. <laughs> we'll we'll try and thread some positivity throughout the. Uh... The non-negotiable negatives of last night. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, we are pleased to announce that this episode is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised fixture for the rest of this season, including Monday night's trip to Goodison Park. And with more than 900 sport pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter where you're based, you can catch every single minute of the action. If you download the Green King Sport app, you won't just get 10% off all drinks anytime there's a match on the TV. This month, presumably being February, there's also thousands of pints of free Guinness to be won and the chance to win one of six holidays. Shout out to our patrons as well. Thanks for your continued support. It's very much appreciated. If you'd like to join and receive post-match pods, among other things, please visit patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, Joe, I touched on it at the top. Uh, the fan base wanted a different starting eleven, and we got it. Your thoughts at 7pm when that team dropped? I was pleased to see Francer in there. I'm not one of the... I'll call it a cult. There is a, there is a, there is a Matthias Francer cult um, so across the season. I, I felt like the demand for him has not always been on the same level as perhaps the expectation of what he might, might bring. But I was glad to see him start. I feel like if if not now, then when ever. And we just needed something that was going to, successfully or not, try to be creative, try to have some spark that's different to what we've seen in forward areas. Um, Wharton starting, I think, was a was a positive beforehand. I think we just knew, well, you spend that much money on a player, you, you want to see him straight in. And the same goes for a Munoz. Uh, just things for people to who are really down about where we are right now to something new to get their teeth into something to get excited about. I think uh, prior to the game, a lot of my 
discussion online was worrying about what the atmosphere would be like and how much of that would be led by the lineup announcement. I think there was enough there for people to not turn up ready to just ready to have the hump, which I was really fearing at one point. Bournemouth game aside, I think Celeste has avoided the worst of the kind of performances and also atmosphere and reaction to games post-match fallout. And I felt like the, the, lineup at least set us on a, the right path of getting some of what people have been asking for and something to look forward to in the the following 90 minutes yeah Andy I'll, I'll come to you in a moment but just on, on Joe's point there Matt Tully has said it is the hope that kills you and we'll <laughs> we'll come on to the hope and then we'll come on to what kills you in a moment uh, Matt but Matt does also reference the great support which was good to see and we, we talked during last week's episode I think in response to a few comments online in terms of booing the team from the first whistle, booing the manager specifically from the first whistle. And we, there were none of that. And actually, I thought the atmosphere, particularly in the first half, was, was pretty strong and, and perhaps one of the better atmospheres we've had so far this season. So, Andy, your thoughts on on the atmosphere, I guess, as you give us your thoughts on on that first half in particular, capped off by another yeah. Corking Palace goal and perhaps uh, February's goal of the month followed uh, or following January's goal of the month yeah, scored in the I'm... same ground. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the atmosphere, I I was really pleased. I think um, when I listened to you boys last week discussing it, you know, I think it's it's our job to do our bit, and I think it's we're perfectly within our rights to complain about the team, to complain about the management, to complain about the ownership, the leadership. That's our sorry to quote Simon Jordan, that's our gift as as uh, fans, as football fans, as paying football fans. However, it's very much our job to get behind them at every moment, is my, is my opinion. And I know you guys sort of were singing from the same hymn sheet last week, so I was really pleased as I was listening to you boys religiously like I do as I was running around Kenny Aerodrome last week to be like, yes, boys, you're right on. And I think the majority of people took that into the game last night. I think the atmosphere was good, even with the banners. And I know that's a whole other, you know, discussion completely, whether you agree with it, whether you disagree with it, or maybe like me, where you agree with elements and disagree with other elements. <laughs> like, I thought the atmosphere was good. I think we did our bit. I, I agree, like, you know, with what Joe was saying in terms of the team selection, when I saw the team sheet came, come in, I was surprised. Not not at Walton. I thought he would go straight in. Not at Munoz. I thought he would go straight in. That Francis started. I thought I thought Schlappi might have been in that left wing position. I really did, and I and only because I I thought would Roy be putting Francis in as a gift to the people who are baying for blood, or because he feels like it's the right moment to do it. And I sort of felt before the game that him throwing him in was just a last roll of the dice, which actually just makes this situation even worse, in my opinion. But, I mean, you know, he did well, didn't he? Let's face it. You know, if we're talking about the first half specifically, just for a minute, to, to your question, Jack, I thought he did really well. I thought he was really our only out ball for most of the game. I thought he, in flashes he showed what we purchased. I thought... You know, and I know the guys covered it on the post-match, but he did gas pretty badly. And he didn't just gas towards the end. And that's a whole other subject, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But I thought there were moments in the first half where he had gone on a run yeah. and then he picked up the ball on the halfway line with acres of space in front of him. And he kind of slowed down and sort of invited the challenge. You're like, no, you kind of like, you think back to those Wilf moments of just knock it down the line and chase after it, please, please. 
But on the whole, talking about the first half, I think we've got a lot to be proud of there. I mean, what a performance, I thought. We were so well set up, well drilled. Everyone stuck to their jobs. Unbelievable goal. I don't think we had anything to complain about in the first half. And he's been threatening that goal, Jefferson Lerma. He's, he's um, what's the analogy? The, the military analogy, he's been you know, getting his sights ready. He's been doing all that stuff. And last night he, he hit the target, Joe, with, as I said, a, a contender for goal of the month for sure. And it was... It was a fantastic strike and, and all of his own work because he, he won the ball back. It all Actually, we shouldn't forget Jean-Philippe Mateta skinning uh, de Sassi on, on the left-hand side that led to that uh, that period of that passage of play. So the goal itself, uh, just fantastic, Joe, I guess. No, no, not many other words to describe it. Yes, certainly one for the, I guess, can a goal be in a scrapbook? I suppose it can. But um one for the compilation, I suppose, is the more modern term. <laughs> the modern day, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, but right, you're right to point out that there's a lot else in that goal. For what is actually just a, a, a screamer of a finish, there's a lot to enjoy about, from a Palace perspective, the other elements of that goal that lead up to the, the shot. Winning the ball back really high, which was, I think, a staple of all the good moments in that first half for us. We really had... We're intercepting Chelsea enough to maintain a threat on the break, to, to be a problem, whether or not we were clinical, which we probably weren't other than that that amazing goal. But, I mean, Tyrick Mitchell is right up there. It's edge of the pe- Chelsea penalty area at, when that is. And you think, how often is he doing that in the 40th minute of a game or at whatever point it was in the first half uh, under the current situation? Not very much. And, yeah, I I really got carried away first half. I My first I, half-time post, I was just like, I almost rolled up when the goal went in because I just I thought between what we were saying, what Andy said, the way the the sellers decided to address collectively the situation to just go with noise and support and raise hell, the HF, the banners mean what they mean. I quite I think I if, on reflection I quite like the idea that they just did it early, got it out of the way, and then just made noise. It's almost like a if their repercussions, so be it. But as the last one said, the fans of the club and people got behind that. Certainly the noise it generated. And I was like, that was relief at the forefront, but then also like really pleased. Like, this is why I come. This is what, this is the kind of night that, that good things happen. We clearly up the level a little bit. We're more intense. We're, we're higher up the pitch. Munoz is, you know, he's still getting familiar with the back four side of things, but in certain position discipline, but, he was desperate to make those runs, and he's a, he's a right he, he's a right winger in a fullback's body. That guy. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> he was eager at any opportunity, and that was again that's something we've not seen for a long time. And I was really enjoying the game, which I, just, I haven't been able to say that for a while. And then the goal goes in, and I was just like, "Oh God!" I've, like this club is still that it's still there. There's still something. There's still something to get behind. There's still players to to support and believe in, and. We could get something here, and and that goal. I mean, the, 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 probably the quality of the goal helped that. But I've really wobbled. At that guy. I was kind of looking around, going, "Everything's going to be all right." You know, oh my gosh, Crystal Palace Football Club. There you are. There you I are. Think, I think I think that half. You nailed it, Joe. I can't, I can't really add much more to that. I think it re-energised a lot of fans whose faith has probably suffered over the last few weeks, particularly those that made the trip to Brighton last week. We needed that half yesterday, and we'll come on to what eventually mm. happened, and it was crap and everything that comes with losing a game in that fashion. But that half of football, even 
the embrace I had with my cousin after that goal went in. Any football fan that's ever celebrated a goal in a ground will know what I mean when sometimes the celebration's a bit naff and you miss the high five and it's all a bit shit. But actually, even my hug with my cousin was on point. I was like, this is brilliant. Everything's working. Yeah. And then the second half. Joe... Sorry, Jack, just before no we move on, on to the first half, sorry, away from the first half, the one thing that really pleased me in that first half, and I agree with everything that you boys have just said about the, the whole, what, what had happened, what was really nice is that we were really well organised, but not to the point where we were completely lacking any interest at the top end of the pitch. Whereas in previous times, and I know, and I'm not, I'm not an advocate. Like I, I don't. The whole Roy Ball thing annoys me. I think it's lazy. But like that's not to say that in the past there haven't hasn't been times where we've been very well set up and organised, and defensively deep and very solid. And you sit there and you just think we could play for days and we will probably not score a goal. Like our only opportunity is off a set piece, and as we all know, that's never going to happen this season. So. What was really nice to see is how well organised we were and set up, but at the same time there were threats. There were moments like take the goal aside because you could you could put that down as a bit of a freak, you know. But you take that aside, there were still moments where we looked threatening and dangerous. And I know we'll come on to him, but Mateta putting in such a shift and the whole team trying to press higher, and then that little bit of interest from Franco in, in so much as no one really knows what he's got up his up his sleeve and what he can do and. That little bit of pace just to show we had some teeth for a minute. We had a little, we had some teeth. And that's what really got me, like, when we finished that half. It's like, not only have we been disciplined, organised, set up, we look like we could get another goal if we, if we push on. But as you say, coming into the second half, that's what made the whole thing so much worse. We'll, we'll come on to the second half. But actually, just one, just everything you just said there, Andy, also took me back to as the players were coming off at half time. There was a moment where Jurkem Anderson puts his thumbs up to the lower Homesdale, and nine days on from what we saw at the end of the the Brighton match with him face to face with a set of supporters, it did kind of bring us back to oh yeah we support this team we support these players, and even from a player's perspective he was kind of giving the thumbs up to be like we know that's what you want that that's what we need to do to get you behind us fully and it it kind of just repaired a bit of damage and again I'm sorry we <laughs> keep flirting with talking about the defeat, but maybe we just don't want to, maybe we just want to keep talking about the first half. But I think think in terms of that second half, for viewers at home, you'll have experienced it as as we did in the ground. Very peculiar start to that second half. The teams come out, Chelsea come out a minute or two earlier than Palace. And then there's what, eight, nine minute delay while Michael Oliver gets his audio sorted. Do you think either of you that has an impact on either set of players or if that second half had kicked off when it was meant to, would that passage of play have followed either way? Andy, you're, you're shaking your head. Do you think that did yeah, have an impact? You could, you could feel the energy depleting, in my view. And it's, it's funny what you said about Anderson, because at the start of the second half, so while all the pl- players are just milling around the pitch, like idly kicking the balls to each other, there was a stray ball that ended up coming down to the sort of white horse end where we are. And as Anderson came, a load of the crowd that were near to him were really clapping him. Go on, Anderson, go on. And he did exactly the same. He came over, he sort of clapped the fans, gave a, gave a thumbs up. And at that point, you're like, yeah, 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 come on, come on. Like, we are, we're back together, we're going to do this. And then it took, as you said, another eight to ten minutes yeah. of just the players sort of kicking the ball to each other, gets flatter and flatter. Whoever put that Chelsea song on as well at that point needs shooting. Uh, that, yeah. The Chelsea fans who were down our end, you know, in the away end, just started going at that point. And you almost felt the momentum swing 
Do they have yeah, history with that song as well? Because I think a lot of Palace fans associate that with relegation I, scraps. I don't know. I've never heard Chelsea have association with Three Little Birds, but yeah. I had to message. I messaged the Chelsea fan I know at full time and went, the, "Was that a pre-existing the, the Chelsea fan? The Chelsea fan I know." <laughs> I, I I said, is that a pre-existing Chelsea song? He said, no, it, it just, I think they just got, got their teeth into it. I, I think uh, we've inadvertently created sort of Chelsea folklore with that, I think, because uh, it seems to be a story that they've jumped on. But I think if they don't score, I don't think that thing exists because it was the whole ground was singing. I, a lot of people in the home end were singing along too. It was just, you know, it happened and it, it, it just went, went a bit left but yeah them scoring immediately just meant they then latched onto it because the sentiment was applied almost immediately and so as a collective they just seem to I mean they've I don't know how you could somehow ruin Three Little Birds by Bob Marley but just they did it yo saying out off beat in the middle of it oh just just a stain one of many things that that then just soured the second half but yeah I, I, I agree with Andy I think the that delay just drew out, you know, if they've had a, either side have had a kick up the arse at half time, it's going to have faded a little bit by the time that that, that happens. And Chelsea have made a change. They've, they've, and it, it was effective immediately. And it's just super, super frustrating. What do you guys think about Conor Gallagher not doing the whole hands up thing? Because he did it when he scored last season. I have not got an issue with it. Some people have really I think he uses- taken issue with it. For me, he used his coupon for that last year. Yeah. If, I, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I want him celebrating both those goals last night. He's captain that club this year. There was a Premier League production, uh, worldwide production this week about Conor Gallagher and his three brothers, all who play football to a certain level. And they all talk about being Chelsea fans. They're, they're Chelsea fans from birth. He joined the academy aged, looks about three years old. It's ridiculous how young he looks when he signed for Chelsea. So no, I didn't expect him to, to not celebrate. In fact, I think he did very well to refrain from celebrating last year to be honest I've got no issue with him celebrating I've got issues with him scoring against us yes, year in year yeah, out. yeah totally but in terms of him celebrating he can do whatever the hell he wants I think after that Andy your, your thoughts stick. on well, he f- did. funnily enough he took, he, did, he took a bit of stick down our end which, and down the white horse and, and the corporate bit above it You'd no one ever takes any stick yeah. he, he tried it down to take a corner and there was a couple of boos and a couple of people shouted before the goal so like you know I think or around about then anyway but I think that bubbles burst isn't it big time like, yeah, I, really I wonder if we are now beyond the uh, notion of Conor Gallagher joining Palace at any, yeah. any point. Maybe when he's 32 after three cruciate ligament replacements or something like that, we'll, we'll see. You know, uh, but let, you let's talk about... Of, go on, Andy, that second half. In terms of that second half, like, when that goal went in straight away, and obviously it was a real kick in the nuts, I obviously immediately thought, right, capitulation inbound, here we go. And I, again, I was really proud of the effort that went in uh, you know, up until the point where the kicking, the real kicking the nuts came, I was like, we did stick to our job, you know, and I, I think there were some really, really good performances like in there, which obviously makes this thing so much worse. But what was really pleasing was that goal goes in, heads could have easily dropped. It could have been another Brighton moment where another two just go in straight away, ground empties, that's it, Roy, you're done, and see you later. But that didn't happen. And I think that's partly why. And I don't know how you guys feel and other fans, but when I went home last night, I was so confused about so many things. But like my overriding thought was he knows what he's doing and he's, the players are still with him. And he's like, we can't, we would be mad actually to get rid of him. Like if we'd had another dreadful performance, then yeah, it was time to go. But it wasn't like that. 
so that's the you know it leads to even more confusion <laughs> yeah I, I i think you're right and we will come on to three two one and, and there's been lots of we had again tons of comments and questions this week so thank you for, for those but a lot of actual comments rather than questions this week in terms of highlighting particular players wharton francer um munoz um jp got a lot of praise as well and chris richards who i thought did very well at center half too but just on france i guess we, we probably need to address it as everything positive that came with him and a lot of palace fans have been banging at the at the door for him to get his chance taking into account the positive impact he had do you put blame at his door for the first goal joe if um, that is jeffrey schlup do you think gusto's getting that that cross that cross in as easily as, as he did Interesting. I, not wholly his responsibility, I'd say, but yes, I, I can see why a Roy Hodgson might have been averse to playing, certainly in the wide positions up to now, because for all those moments of excitement, carrying the ball 20, 30 yards, um, he, the, you know, he, he won the ball back a lot last night. Okay. Was certainly second half, even, even though he was, as we were saying, Next. really tired he was still nicking the ball back quite a lot but in terms of actual tracking zonal Tyrick Mitchell was he Gusto and I mean it was Madweke first half but second half Cole Palmer I think went out there and those two just just well just gave him a, a, a long night and I don't think Francis was ever equipped to to do do everything right, right there it's a it's a do you know it's, it's a balanced thing isn't it I think you're, you're essentially weighing up with Matthias Franzer, so if you could play him there. What's the risk-free reward here? Uh, if we've got no creative spark in the forward areas without him, is that worth just, uh, you know, do we want to um, just put that to the side if it means better defensive work and vice versa? Are we willing to risk him, risk Tyrick being exposed a bit more against a, I don't know, next... Maybe against Burnley, it might be less of an issue, you know? You are... As bad, as weird, as shaky, as confusing as Chelsea are, Malo Gusto is probably one of the is probably the might be the right back of the, the season so far, potentially. One of the sort of stories. Might, well, he might be France's starting right back at the Euro system. Yeah. And Cole, Cole Par- and Cole Palmer equally in, who went that way second half on the right is Chelsea's kind of story of the season on the pitch, success story, shall I say. So I that's that's a tough test for when we're being a bit more riskier. Um, maybe in future fixtures coming up, it might work. That balance actually is works much more in our favour. And I don't think it's a reason to keep him off the pitch a lot more between now and the end of the season. I I would I think that was an audition to, to for a lot more minutes. If I'm honest with you, I I don't know if Roy agrees. I saw a few moments where Roy was kind of arms in the air at some of the play off the ball with France, it seemed like. So I don't know whether he's just got in his head with him and he's just a bit anxious about trying him. But Your your answer there, Joe, was my inner monologue because I drove back down to the coast last night. That that balance point you make is, you know, if Jeffrey Schlupp had been five yards closer to Gusto as he put that ball in the box last night, that's all well and good. It would have gone out for a corner or a throw-in. They would have kept coming. Whereas actually, would Jeffrey Schlapp have done half the good stuff that Francis did last night? Probably not. And probably would not have provided us with the positivity that, you know, has actually filtered through so far in this conversation. I thought we were going to be a little bit more down, but there, there are positives to pick up on, on last night. For me, actually, having seen the goal back 
today, the day after. I'm actually more disappointed at the ease at which Gallagher's accessed the box and, and had such a, a free run and a free hit, you know, 14 yards out. So that's the disappointing bit. But there's a big gap between that first goal and the second goal. The second goal comes literally as the clock goes into the red. Um, what was your thought going into that final five minutes? I think to paint the picture, Branta has been taken off at that point. Um, Will Hughes has been taken off at that point, supposedly with an injury. Did you feel we were holding on for a point, Andy? Or did you think we were still there trying to win the game? Or were we two on the back foot? And I say that even though that when they did break for that um, second goal, it was quite sparse defensively from from our perspective. Mm. It's funny, isn't it, with the substitutes, like how we've been complaining in the past about uh, Roy's substitutes and defensive substitutes and stuff. Whereas I thought last night it was it was the complete opposite, and this will be unpopular. However, like I agree with everything you guys said about Franca earlier, you know, and I, and and also hypothetically speaking, I don't think Schluppy would have necessarily blocked that cross either. No, like he hasn't managed to block much recently, has he? Like all those balls that were going into the box at Brighton. So, but the one thing that Franca was giving us that Schluppy couldn't was a way out was a ball over the top or taking it into feet and trying to do something with a threat. That's what we lose when you take France out and you put Schluppy in. However, as we got towards the end of the game, it was so evident that France was sort of a bit out on his feet. I would say from 75 minutes onwards that I would have risked the booing and the shouting to have brought Schluppy on for France at that point. I also thought whilst the uh, Ahamada sub was positive and everyone's been baying for blood in terms of, come on, put him on, like, let's be more positive in our subs, blah, blah, blah. I, I wouldn't have made that sub either. Like, injury, yeah, okay, fair enough. But I, I, I didn't really get it, to be honest. And I think Ahamada still has quite a lot to do to show everybody who has watched a lot of him play what he's about. And I don't doubt there is something really good in there, but... I don't think we've seen anything really yet to shout about, you know, and I, the headless I, chickenness is great if you're going to make yourself effective and actually, you know, stop play, break a few things up or be dangerous at the other end. But his, we his haven't 10, seen any of that. His 10, 15 minutes last night, and Joe, I'll get your thoughts on Ahamadi as a player we've talked about throughout this season, but his 10, 15 minutes shot me as a player that either wasn't briefed effectively in terms of what he was to do when he came on the pitch or he just did not follow the brief that he was given. I didn't feel he contributed anything, got in the way a couple of times, if if anything, and, and and didn't really contribute defensively, particularly as he'd come on for Will Hughes. I know Jefferson Lerma dropped in, but it was a peculiar one. Uh, and actually, for all the good things David Ozo's done since he's come into the, the first-team fray, he was particularly effective against Sheffield United at keeping the opposition in the final third from Palace's perspective. In the last five minutes. In the last five minutes. So I was surprised that Ahamada was the pick. I actually thought, rather than, and Andy mentioned earlier about Franca being a political pick by Roy, the Ahamada one actually struck me more as him kind of giving in about a particular player more than the Franca one. Franca did contribute and could contribute and did positively, but Ahamada, not quite sure. And I, Joe, I just feel with Ahamada, the best we've seen Ahamada with the first few appearances under Vieira. Yeah. yeah. And I don't yeah. feel he's progressing. You could accuse the manager of not, doing what he needs to do to that. But it does seem that he has stood still since he came in and is still pretty much, if not slightly um, regressed since March, 2023. I'd agree. Uh, the manager, if, if a manager, if you feel like a manager hasn't got faith in you, 
and you feel like you've worked hard in training or, or, or whatnot to get the opportunities that he has so far, you know, there might be a, a wall, a ceiling where his confidence is no longer hitting a level that he was to say Schalke. Was it, no, sorry, Stuttgart, where we had it oh, before, yeah, yeah. when we signed him. Um, yeah, and, and again, I didn't, I didn't think much of his performance last night either. Um, but I, I saw it as a positive change, which perhaps if we are to step back and go, that's so many different, maybe it is, it's Roy's in his mind, last rolls of the dice kind of thinking, or, you know, it's it's not come from nowhere. Um, if he's only just realising the desperation of the situation, I'd be very surprised. So, um, it, but he was still welcome. And yet, between that and the Edward change, it was, we, we'd, we'd, tempered things a little bit we we didn't capitulate and it i dare say we were almost going ah, just we'll lean forward a little bit more we might actually try and get something here get, get a win never mind a draw to in that lot five ten minutes but that one break i think decore has been out since the luton game we've had a few kind of square pegs and and uh, it's moved around a lot. What well, that that midfield has looked like—a midfield that's worked because of various absentees, not just the Corey on top of that. Uh, um, as much as good work is being done by Wharton and and Lerma, uh, and you know, fair play, Will Hughes last night. You know, it was, I think I think the game suited what he was asked to do. Uh, getting caught for that second goal. Maybe I'm looking too much into that. It was an example of. There isn't an ang- there isn't a natural anchor in that midfield that is going to just screen and Roy Keane style. Don't worry, I've anticipated it. It's dealt with. Um, they were working really hard. Wharton was was you know edge of our own box and and helping clear up some of those lots sort of weird sort of scrambles on the edge of our box quite a lot in that second half. But we were always there and we were dealing with it and we were getting it out and there was an out ball. But that that second goal of theirs was just it just felt like, well, there's you know, we haven't won that particular duel on the halfway line, or even maybe a bit further into Chelsea's half. And then you look around and go, Oh, there is a huge amount of space now. Yeah. It and was, it, it just the appearance of a lot of space very quickly. Yeah. Which we had managed so well up to that point. And to yeah. get to the ninetieth minute, or what was the ninety first minute at that point, yeah. just a really cheap goal, I thought, to to lose a Premier League match to. And again, it's it's you know who and yeah. I think somebody said that his first league goals in the three seasons other than playing for Palace when he's been a Premier League player have been against Crystal Palace. The one he scored for West Brom uh, in uh, 2021. Yeah, when um, we spanked them at the Hawthorne. When we spanked yeah. them 5-1, he got there one. Uh, obviously last season when he was, um, uh, you know, hands up apologising. And then last night, I thought he'd bagged a few this season, but apparently in cup competition. So if you want to put money on Conor Gallagher's first league goal score... Got a first league goal to be scored next season. Find out when his club, and who knows, it might not be Chelsea, are playing Palace and, and well, presumably we're in the same division as them. Yeah. But we'll come on to that in questions. Anyway. <laughs> well, that was, you know, we've ended, we've ended on the inevitable <laughs> negative, but I think there's enough positive there to, to you hopefully replicate. Do, do, do you boys not think, like, we have to be realistic, again, to, end, to, to be slightly sort of positive in a weird negative way, that... If you look at the amount of talent that came off Chelsea's bench, right, and their bench is probably worth more than our entire starting lineup, like all put together, like w- there shouldn't be that much of a sh- shock or surprise in what ended up happening there. 
Like when you when we're bringing on our Armada, and you know, like should we bring Sloppy on maybe? Like all this kind of stuff. Like what 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 do people necessarily expect? You know, we, there's hundreds of millions of pounds worth of talent that we're having to fight a war against. And it sort of goes back to like, and I know Selzy's preached this, and I, I really, really agree with it. This whole, you can't t- continue to take the mickey out of the league in terms of the way that you spend and you use your money and hope that it won't come and back and bite you at some point. In the same way that when we played Liverpool, how good were we for 60 minutes? And I, and I know I got sent off and we could discuss that all day long. But at the end of the day, what changed Liverpool's fortunes outside of that sending off, which is a pivotal moment, was bringing on some unbelievable subs. You know, you bring on Harvey Elliott and like others, and then all of a sudden games changed, and then momentum shifts, another goal, off you go. So I think there's, there's got to be an element of realism, hasn't there, in terms of this is what we have available in our squad. And actually, wow, we really did put up a hell of a fight like and it's so gutting and it's so disappointing and it's week on week, which makes it compounds it and makes it harder and harder to deal with. But we're sort of we are leveling out a little bit here as to where we are to a certain degree. Well, Andy, your point about Chelsea, it it takes you back to something that Dom said before. I think we previewed the Chelsea match around Christmas time with Dom. And he talked about, you know, they're not playing particularly well at the moment but they've got a billion pounds worth of moments in them. And I think we saw that last night, that at key moments they could make the differences. And it might have been a homegrown player that's come through their academy that made the difference, but it's players like Nkunku, who as soon as he came on, the game changed. His ability to manipulate space, he he changed it entirely for them. And just that quality of, um, of movement made a huge difference. What I would say is in the first half in particular, and we've given him his, his uh, credit for the goal, but if there was a hundred million pound South American central midfielder on the pitch in the first half last night, he wasn't playing for Chelsea. And I thought Lerma really stuck it to Caicedo and, and Fernandez last night and, and looked really, really good. And I think it's further proof as to what a good signing he is. So we'll, we'll end on the positive there, but I think you're absolutely right, Andy. I think maybe how bad Chelsea are has become a bit of a misnomer for every club that plays them. I saw it with Villa fans last week when they got dumped out the cup last week. It was as if they'd lost to Division One side or a, a championship side. They weren't. They're playing against a club who won the Champions League four years ago. They're playing against a club who have, and possibly to their future detriment, have spent a billion pounds in the last 18 months. Like, you've you, got to be you, realistic. Uh, there's a phrase earlier, roll of the dice, and, and you think Chelsea's dice rolls are, okay, we're bringing on Nkuku at half-time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, our centre-backs come off. Oh, here's Levi Colwell, yeah. who we're not selling for anything less than 50 million or something. And then, oh, it's still not over the line. 10 minutes to go. Oh, here's Raheem Sterling. Like, yeah. that's... like yeah. that's We look at it like that. <laughs> One of the players of England's best generation for 50 years. And, Absolutely. Uh, the big yeah. game player for England, I felt like, in the last... Big game player. Five, couple of and again, he, he moved... He, you know... I think he's having a difficult season, but again, just him coming on the space he creates. Ben Chilwell had his Ben Chilwell had his best ten minutes of the game when he had Raheem Sterling in front of him last night. Yeah, and I suppose if you if you're looking for positives beyond that, or, or it, my assessment of that is, in games like that, we give it as good as we've got, but we're going to see the failings there in the depth, as we have in other moments this season. Liverpool is a great example. You, there's only so much you can do as even as well as we played in each of these games for periods. Yeah. What you then want and hope is that that same kind of performance application is seen in the in the games we've got coming up with Everton, with Burnley, with Luton, 
And I feel like a lot of the disquiet began this season when we would have games against that type of opposition and it didn't look like that. And it's very easy to get frustrated in those games than it is getting walloped at Arsenal because you're like, well, no, this, this, these are the games where we're targeting points and we should be competing with them. We shouldn't be being left behind on subs when we're playing Bournemouth. So I really hope that that bit, that element of the game and that performance isn't just written off as, ah, oh, you know, that was part of that game. But, you know, Hodgson in the post-match quite understandably said, I'm not really in the mood to look at any positives right now from that game. I'd be lying to myself. I think he's down in the dumps. I can get that. He's being called everything under the sun. Um, maybe to this morning or tomorrow, I hope his mind changes when he has a look on the tapes or however it's, the analysis is done because some of that needs to go to Goodison Park and you know, then, you know we, what, then we've got a chance. And, and this, is, this is my issue right now, I think, with the whole situation. Like, the performance was good. Like, the performance against Brighton was bad, but we got done within a minute. And, and at that point, anything can happen in any game. So I, I almost write that off to a certain degree, although there was obviously a trend. My big issue is, is that we have our two biggest games of the season coming up now. Not, not like in a couple of weeks now. Mm. One being away, and traditionally we do very badly up at Goodison. You know, I'm less worried about Burnley, actually. That will come onto the horizon pretty sharp and will become an absolute must-win, no doubt. But it's that element of Roy waking up this morning and thinking, yeah, all right, actually, we did play all right. But how are we going to infuse this group to go out there and give it our best shot? And that's my big worry with Roy now. Like, on paper, I would pick him above all the other candidates, managerial candidates that are out there, whether it's Cooper or whoever. Like, I'd... I'd I think Roy's a brilliant manager. I think he's done a great job for us. My issue is is the energy, the passion, the enthusiasm. Something has to happen between now and Monday night to get us going again. And and that's the real frustration from last night because that Lerma goal felt like maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe that's exactly what we needed or grinding out the result last night and we, and we get a little bit of momentum. That's the thing is the momentum, isn't it? And I dearly hope that actually Roy can take us to Everton. We smash and grab it and we just get our season back on track. But the worry is that doesn't happen. And then what? And then where are we? As the games tick down and the bottom three gets closer, then we're in a bit of, bit of a pickle. Yeah, we, so that's we why are, this whole situation is horrible, isn't it? Yeah, we are at the point of the season where you're watching the Saturday three o'clock if you're not playing with a vested interest, which is not a place you really want to be. We'll come on to Roy. We'll come on to... Uh, whether he'll be the manager at Goodison uh, a week uh, on Monday, uh, sorry, a week's time on Monday night um, after this quick break. Welcome back to this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Time for your questions. Um, we'll start with the manager, as I said, uh, following a weekend of rumours and an article released on Tuesday afternoon by The Guardian about the club's overt efforts to tempt Kieran McKenna from Ipswich. Um, Shannon asks, what will it take for Parrish to sack Roy? Well, Andy, it would seem the board have reached that point, but it's caveated that they're not going to replace Roy with just anyone. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what a situation. <laughs> I think if we'd got absolutely battered without putting a fight up last night, he would have had to have gone. There would have just been absolutely no choice. The pressure would have been added too much. 
And then we're in this shotgun position of, right, now what? Now what? Who's available? Who wants the job? You know, did the club do the club? I mean, I doubt it, but do the club have a plan from the summer onwards that then goes up in smoke because they have to make a change now, which I think is probably part of their thinking right now. I don't know. McKenna, if we're going to look at some of the candidates, I'm not super excited about. And again, I'm probably going to, you know, people will criticise my opinion on it. I, what we need in this situation, in my opinion, is experience. You know, and I'm not saying Roy is that necessarily that person. I'd like it to be, but I'm not sure if it is that person. But history has shown us that every time we've got ourselves into a pickle, experience has taken us out of that pickle. And every time we've kind of rolled the dice a little bit on a younger manager, it hasn't always turned out that well. I think we should just discount the ball because that was just mad, really. Like, let's forget that because it's a different situation to where we find ourselves on now. The Vieira thing is really interesting because... And I don't think any of us really quite grasped it in the moment, but the players that were brought in that summer are such good signings, you know, and, and they weren't like marquee, you know, 50 million pound signings. You know, when you bring in Mark Gay, Mark, uh, Michael Elise, Decore, all these guys, or, you know, I came, came a bit later, but all these guys who suddenly become the absolute linchpins of our team and are suddenly have 50 million pound price tag slapped on their head, like unbelievable. But Vieira probably, maybe this is unfair, but may have underachieved with that group of players. You know, there's an argument there. I'm not saying he did, but there is an argument. And people do forget that he got to a cup semi-final and all that kind of stuff. And that gets lost very quickly. But I, I just go back to the fact that I think in a position we find ourselves in, with time running out, we need someone who's been there, done that, and worn the T-shirt to a certain degree. Like I said, that would be unpopular, but McKenna isn't that person. Who's your man now then? Who 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 fits that brief for you? Or, or well, I that... think I think this is the issue. I I don't think that's an obvious person, you know. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. My I don't I don't work in football day to day. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who would be very good for this job who do have experience. But if you look at the likely candidates and you and you look at the betting, which is always a good indicator. I mean, outside of McKenna and Cooper, there's there's pretty much no one underneath them. Yeah. Yeah. They're the only two yeah. whose odds have really moved at all during this whole period of conjecture exactly. about the Palace managers. You, you, you go under McKenna and Cooper, and then you go to twenty-five to one. You're looking at Jose Mourinho and Gareth Southgate. <laughs> you know, I, I can't see either turning up. And frankly, I, you know, Gareth, I'd take Jose in a heartbeat. You know, like for, for Gareth, obviously, that is never in a billion years. How can that be twenty-five to one? But anyway, I, I just, I think this is the issue with the board. They look at it now. They think there's probably not a candidate out there who is who is the right man for this job right now. I wonder whether that's why it's been a bit slow. I might be completely wrong. It's conjecture and it's just an opinion. But it feels to me like if they had had someone in the background, which they have in the past, let's not forget, yeah. they would have probably pulled the trigger and then new man would have been in pretty quickly. New man. <laughs> new man. I um, Phone shop. Go on, Joe. Uh, uh, two things actually. So the Telegraph have since followed up okay. shortly after the Guardian article, and a name that I've, I'm not, I don't see everything. So this may have been a name that's been in the frame prior, but Telegraph have named um, Glasner, oh, yeah. Austrian chap. Uh, yeah, Oliver Glasner, who was at Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, is is available. He's not. He's currently not without a club. Won the Europa League with Eintracht he Frankfurt. Beat Rangers in the in the Europa League final a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and they they literally essentially put him side by side with Kieran McKenna as like just one of the leading candidates. Uh, although, as always, you look at why did he leave Eintracht Frankfurt? Probably successful <laughs> German club because of sporting development and overall performance in the second half of the campaign. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hmm. Um, Posh words for shit results. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess that's how everybody loses their jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And they sold everybody after that Europa League win, Indeed. didn't they? Yeah, a lot of players um, went. Um, the other thing, which I'm interested to see your thoughts, I'm probably over speaking here. Spoke to somebody that I think we mentioned Gary O'Neill was. Um, Mm, last week. Lo- a local boy. Yeah. Mill fan, I think, really. Oh, okay. But Downham, Beckenham, that sort of area, still lives around here. Um, was uh, was inquired about the Palace job in the summer and they try- chose not to take him up on it. I-, I Hindsight's wonderful. I would have understood totally why we didn't take him at that point in time. But with hindsight, it's horrible. That would have... that. You really look at some... I think we even mentioned it on the last episode about his how he is with the with the Wolves fans at the moment and stuff. God, another another what if, but you you can't predict everything, can you? If that if that had happened at the time, sorry Andy, but if that had happened at the time, he would have been underwhelmed. It would have been underwhelming. It would have yeah, been yeah. oh well, the bloke that just kept Bournemouth. Okay, he did a good job there, but you know we're Crystal Palace. We've been in the Premier League for eleven seasons. Shouldn't we be getting someone else? Uh, go on, Andy. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you. And I was going to say, it's a question for both of you from me. If and I know this is sort of a bit stupid and hypothetical, but we should look at it like this because fingers crossed this will soon come into view. If Elise and Eze suddenly come back to fitness, give it a couple of weeks, right, and they're back in the squad full time. If there's, uh, and we don't know the status of it, but let's say the last five games of the season, Decore suddenly appears as well, or is, you know, ready to make some sort of appearances. Aaron Rodgers' and, Achilles fix, probably that would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, our, our new friends, Walton and Munoz and stuff, have had a little bit more time to get acclimatised because you can see immediately from those two, they just need time. Like, they're going to be good. They just need time. Or they're going to be better than what we've got. And they just need time. Would you back Roy in that situation to actually lead that group of players to get the results that we need to stay up? Well, yeah, because that doesn't sound yeah. too different from the setup that he inherited when he came in from April the 1st last year. I think if if... If this team, and I was thinking this last night, if this team had either one of Elise or Eze, I think we probably beat Chelsea last night. I think that the the improvement they make to our total quality as a team is so vast that I think we probably overcome them because we create a bit more. One of them probably takes a chance and makes it 1-0, 2-0 or 2-1, whatever. But we don't. Without those guys, it's a it's a struggle. But yeah, if you, if you said to Roy, you've got that calibre of player readily available to you, I think you probably would just say see the season out, and then the summer comes. But as you say, Andy, the summer will come and there's decisions to be made. I mean, Joe, about McKenna, he's a name that's tangibly been linked now for quite a period of time. What are your thoughts on McKenna? Um, the, I mean, the Ipswich Town project is clearly a successful one. He's clearly the the driving force behind it, as well as, you know, a fair amount of money for where they were in League One. And also, from what I understand, I think the championship budget's not too shabby either. Um, I it would still be a gamble everything is and I think that's the if you look historically at Palace appointments Vieira aside and you think how far down the list Vieira was at that time as well um, I think having had previous interviews and then maybe not looked at at the time you could Steve Cooper's number one of those I believe that has been spoken to before but now nah, maybe not now those obvious experienced candidates are not around anymore unless you're going back to Sam Allardyce or something like that and I don't think I even don't. I don't think that's ever on the table now. 
so you're looking around and maybe that is why we've been umming and ahhing and waiting for that person to appear since spring 2023. Um, it's it, that I, I can understand that. Um, so I think whoever we're going to have to appoint is going to be a little bit of a, a, a spin of the wheel. And I mean, despite the prior to Ipswich, not a great amount of managerial experience does come with coaching experience of Manchester United, which as bad as they've been in the last decade, that that still means something and comes with a big reputation. I, I would, if he's the guy in the summer, two thumbs up. I think that's, we've done really well to do that. If we get him prior to that, I think we've done extremely well, regardless of whether he's capable for for that fight or not. I think getting him to leave that Ipswich Town situation prematurely would be, I presume, very expensive, but also I, I would be impressed by that, whether the players are, whether it's actually the right decision. I, I've always felt, as soon as the links were made and they were very strong in the weeks between the, this, these two episodes we've had, I I thought how have we done that? I think he'd be mad to leave now, but I don't know. They have, I, they have tailed off a little bit. Pre-Christmas, pre yeah. Christmas, I think they played Leicester on Boxing Day and the two of them were run away at yeah. the top of the table. And since then, they have had a bit of a difficult January. Didn't add some players to the squad that McKenna went out and publicly said he wanted to be added. So I don't know whether that was maybe right. part of the whole conversation. Joe, got you done said, by Mason. Probably, got, got done by Mason. Got done We've been tapping him up. We've been tapping him up since yeah, well, the first of January. Allegedly, yeah, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Um, <laughs> so, would you boys? Simple question, right? Would you guys, as if you're Steve Parrish now, would you stick or twist? Are you are you letting Roy go and getting a McKenna or a Cooper, or are you sticking with with this for the time being? Given that we're living game to game right now, and it seems as a fan base we are living game to game. There doesn't seem to be anything more than a one game plan. Um, at the moment, I think you probably on the back of last night, give him Everton and say it's got to be it's got to be more of the same, Roy, because that caliber of performance against a team that is currently in the bottom three. I know there's the whole points deduction conversation to be had, but we would have a better chance of beating that Everton team than we did against that Chelsea team last night. And I think for big parts of last night, we came quite close to getting a result last night. So for me, I'd keep Roy until if if you gave him Chelsea at home. And you perform like that, I think you give him Everton away, I, I would say. If it's if McKenna's the alternative, yeah, I'm in. Joe? Joe, what are you saying? Yeah, well, game by game is the right answer. And I, I feel I feel like long term, I think Parrish is in his mind, if I was going to try and read it, would be, okay, fine, but I don't want to leave us two, three weeks without any coaching staff or, or management. It needs to be someone, I've got someone in the background that makes sense and it's right now, but Roy's in for the meantime. Which seems to be the vibe, I think. I think if the person was there, I think they would have done it by now. And I get that because it's just wasted time otherwise. And we, I feel like we waste a lot of time. We we write off a couple of weeks of pre-season every year with a summer appointment. It really frustrates me. Um, I I think if we cut, if, if we have bad results in the Everton and Burnley game, I, I think a button is pushed regardless. But I, I can imagine that I think Paris just wants to just wrap himself up and go, can we just get through these games and a couple of players back and everyone will cheer up again? Can I be Whether on the not... yacht in Marbella, please? Can I just be, <laughs> yeah, can it be the summer? I turn my phone off. As, as, as um, overly optimistic as that might be, because I think for a lot of supporters, their mind's made up and the difference between February and May is night and day in terms of just holding out. Um, I actually, to your foot, previous question about, uh, yeah, I think, I think, Roy with everyone back is 
think we'll be fine. But how long are they going to be? I think the trust in bringing these players back slowly and properly, again, risk-reward, how much do we need them to be? I think as Ebbs has been quiet mentions of being fit again around that Burnley game. Uh, I heard a, he, he might be on the bench on Monday. Is what I heard. Oh, blimey! So in view, yeah. of, in view of Burnley, possibly. Just don't bring him on if we're just don't bring him on. Well, that's the point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, get him to travel, get him to be the, the good vibes guy that he clearly is. But don't put him on the pitch, please, for the love of God. Yeah. Andy, I know you've got you've got to make tracks in a minute, mate. And, and thank you. So we won't we won't keep you. But yeah, I'm sorry, boys. Don't, no, it's all good. But Joe sent me the link earlier. It's the first time I saw the Ed Aaron's uh, article, and in at the bottom. <laughs> They just love copying our homework. They was mentioned of West Ham looking at McKenna too. So I just text Joe back and was like, <laughs> hashtag welcome Moyes. I can see David Moyes in the summer. I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if David Moyes was the Crystal Palace manager at the start of next season. When he got, well, to, if they, if he got sacked after that Arsenal game, I think it would have been a conversation yeah. had immediately. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I would take him in a heartbeat. Again, it's probably going to be mad unpopular that, but I'd take him in an absolute heartbeat. Yeah. Also, I think for once we sold West Ham a massive dummy with Calvin Phillips. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's great and all, but for however many million they paid for the rest of the season, immensely. another another competition winner performance from him on Sunday. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'll take I'll take Wharton all day long in that respect. You know, you know he'll have absolutely, and we'll come on to Adam Wharton in, in three, two, one. But you know, just talking about Calvin Phillips, he will have settled by the time they come to Selhurst in. Uh, in springtime. Andy, thank you yeah. so much, mate. No, you've got to make tracks. Um, Last thing I'm going to leave you with, just, just a couple of names for three, two, one for you guys to think about. Which just give I us your one. You get first choice. Just give us your one. Oh God. It's between Mateta, who I think is putting such a shift, not only last night, but like the Sheffield United game, especially I thought he, he probably had his best play game for us ever. I think without scoring a goal, I thought Chris Richards was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he played so well last night. Uh, Lerma, Mateta for me. Wow, okay. Okay. He will be considered as part of the uh, 3-2-1 discussion. I've got a couple more questions to chuck Joe, and um, and then we'll get on to 3-2-1 in a minute. Andy, thanks so much, mate. uh, Thank you, boys. Just week after Monday. See you later. Okay, Joe, just you and I now, mate. So I will chuck you uh, a hot topic. So many questions last night. Uh, AOD, the Irish giant. Uh, Simon Robinson and the aptly named Safe Hands all ask questions about Dean Henderson. Before I give my, and I will give my two pennies worth, um, as it's just you and I now, your thoughts on, on Dean Henderson last night, and, and particularly the first two goals. I think the third one is is, uh, is probably harsh to criticise, given the nature yeah. of that third one. But the first two, uh, criticism for Henderson, or are there other elements of his performance that you think are fair, fair game for, for comment? It's funny, I... I, th- I think as a goalkeeper, you really need a, an early win in terms of a performance, like a, a, a big save that everyone can get behind and go, oh yeah, you're, you're a goalkeeper, which sounds ridiculous, but it seems to be the way I, I've seen. To, I think with Guaita, I think the one that got, because I, I always remember the first great save and it was, I think he tipped it onto the, he made a mistake in a home game against Leicester early on. He thought like he was a bit nervous in possession, but then in the second half, I think he tipped a shot onto the post. That and is back. I think so. And then it went back into his hand or something. And it was like, okay, and cool. We won. Okay. And we yes, won. And we won. Yeah. Dean Henderson, I think I thought had that moment at, at Man City. There was a slightly Hollywood save from distance that was picked up on a bit more than I was expecting. I thought there was one in the first half that was a lot better. Um, but he hasn't had moments yet. 
quite following that. Certainly not a sellist. And I think in people's minds, it's like, well, Sam Johnston was doing more. Sam Johnston was coming out for crosses. And when you're at, when we're in moments like we are now, and you're and you're looking for something that, what changes can affect? What changes are there to be made that are credible that could possibly improve us? You can look at the raw statistics of we've conceded like eighteen, mm. maybe more under since Henderson's come in. I think very few of them are his responsibility, personally. The goals last night is interesting. So I'd, it was on mute because I was in the pub. But I think Monday Night Football's post-match coverage, they're Petr Cech as a pundit. And he actually analysed Dean Henderson's goalkeeping for the Conor Gallagher's second goal. So the first goal is, actually, if you look at the angles and players' positioning, it's actually, there's only the cross... The Palace players, the line of like, there's only one place it can go to not hit any Palace players and it goes there. So let's say luck or credit to the cross. The second goal, the ball comes across. As the ball's rolling, Anderson is directly in front of Conor Gallagher, between Conor Gallagher and Dean Henderson. Dean Henderson, I would say, if you're going to, if we're going this forensic, Dean Hen, which they did on Monday Night Football, to be fair. Petr Cech, who said, by the way, I believe, because again, it was on mute, but I believe Petr Cech was defending Henderson on this. He, he didn't He didn't think he was at blame for either goal, apparently. Right, yeah. So, with Anderson in front of him and no longer being able to see the ball, Dean Henderson go, takes a step to the left or like tries to crane his leg around Anderson on the... And I say the left, I mean his left, so... His, le- his head going towards the away end, let's say. But for listeners' benefit, I'm getting a full enactment <laughs> oh, actual here as well. physical enactment. This yeah. is great. Yeah. But as it happens, you know, Conor Gallagher has struck the other direction. So, and you know, you get it a lot with free kicks when people analyse goalkeepers with free kicks. Sometimes they take a step in one direction, realise the ball's the, uh, going the other way and they cannot stretch or they cannot really throw their body back again the other way. And, Hennessy syndrome, I believe, uh, medics yeah. call that. Yeah, yeah. And, and Henderson demonstrated some symptoms of that in that goal. But when a player is blocking your path, you know, you, goalkeepers aren't magicians. They have to see the ball. And I, I, that's the one where we're, where you look at it from just in real time and go, that ball, that just shot's in the middle of the goal. Why haven't you got to that? He cannot see that. And then I, I, I don't want to beat him. I think... The money we've paid, the wages he's reportedly on, possibly the highest at the club. People are expect have been expecting a lot more. I think people were expecting to see like, I don't know, a, 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 a Petr Cech, a Yashin or something. I don't know. Just a really, the best the best goalkeeper we've seen at Palace, essentially. That hasn't materialised. I, I acknowledge that. He hasn't demonstrated that. But I, I think that's not a problem that's got us where we are at the moment it's a really interesting point you make about Henderson's biggest contribution so far in terms of a a point contributing save was the Man City one Mm. which occurred before the comeback I wonder if he'd made that save when we're 2-2 he starts his Palace career on slightly more solid footing with Palace fans I think a lot of this conversation is being directed at how quickly Sam Johnson became a fan favourite yeah Sam Johnson was having a wonderful season I don't want to repeat myself from last week you know Joe we were talking about the same situation. No, nothing's changed in my opinion that Sam Johnson's a very good goalkeeper. Dean Henderson's a very good goalkeeper. Sam Johnson has on top of that, a fondness that he curated with palace fans, given that he made his debut during that 10 game run. Mm. 
He started the season incredibly well. When we got the wins that we got this season, we got with him in goal. He was playing at a very high level. The two centre-backs in front of him were playing at a very high level. And Dean Henderson has not had those luxuries afforded to him because the situation's completely different. In terms of the two goalkeepers, I don't see that much difference between them. If if I have any comment about Dean Henderson last night, it's to do with neither of the goals. I didn't think he was at fault for the second one either. I saw some comments saying that he went with his feet and should have gone with his hands. I don't know. I think the finish is probably finding that bottom corner, however which way he wanted to go down. For me, he does seem a bit tied to his goal line when crosses come in. Yeah. yeah. And I, there was, I, I, there I, was I, one I, in the first half, and I think it was Gusto again or Madwiko ping one in from the their right-hand side, and Anderson had to make a very, very good defensive header from within his six-yard box. I think, I, I, think, thinking, I think it was Conor Gallagher who was like just ready to nod it in. Just ready to not, nod that in. Yeah. Fate, fate won't wait, but yes, yeah, yeah it, it will come, easy. Connor. But in terms of that element of his goalkeeping, that's the bit where I'm a bit like, oh, I wish you'd come for that. I wish, yeah. I wish you would dominate your six-yard box. But in terms of the goals, no. But you know, people asking a lot of questions. I think specifically, uh, safe hands asked, how is Henderson still playing? 14 goals conceded in four games. Surely time to bring back SJ. Stats will tell eventually and maybe there will be more conversations the worse that that goal goes and maybe that's why the third goal is important because it just adds the tally of goals and the average goals per game yeah, conversation we've got the third worst third worst goal difference in the division now goal difference is starting to honk and it's not yeah. looking good and when you're hovering around that bottom six goal difference starts to become valuable as a point yeah. in time and at the moment and actually under Hodgson I've always kind of thought, what was the point? We're a point ahead because the goal difference is so good. Yeah, not this year, not this year. And, and let's be honest, some of those have come with Sam Johnson in goal. By the way, that four 0 hammering four-nil at, at Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah, you know, there was I think the first goal. Some people raised eyebrows at him, but other than that, that wasn't a that wasn't a result blamed on Sam Johnston. Mm-hmm. But you know, Brighton, Arsenal, the 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 percentage that seems to be apportioned to him has been very disproportionate to, to that that one game under Johnson, for example. Uh, Mike, yeah, the line thing, That's if I'm going to offer a criticism, it's I wish he would come off his line more and it's very apparent because we've conceded a bunch of set pieces and he hasn't been near those. So that's super frustrating. But again, I think I said it after the Brighton pod, I would assume that's under instruction. And that's the bit, a goalkeeper's never going to come out and say that either. Yeah, being like oh, I'm told not to come off my line unless it, you know it's a well. It's a show as you a... say that, I think back to the immediacy after that header that I just made from Anderson, and in the next break in play, Anderson and Henderson are high fiving each other as if that's the plan all along. So I don't know. We're just two guys who don't know much about goalkeeping talking yeah. about goalkeeping. I'm sure there are people that you know study goalkeeping week in week out who are like, no, that's that's what yeah. he would have been asked to asked to do. But I do think. The mood within the place is clearly very much in terms of bringing Sam Johnston back in. The man that will make that decision, presuming it's still Roy, is a man who we week in after week talk about values trust between players. I don't know if he's a man that changes his goalkeeper willy-nilly. Without, without, in, without injury or suspension, that, that injury, not changing. But with both these players, what we do know is they are susceptible to injuries. So I'm, yep. not, I'm not ruling out the prospect that Sam Johnston will have a spell in goal between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and equally, we're as likely to see Remy Matthews back in goal for the same reason because of that. Quite so, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if we'll start seeing Joe Whitworth uh, yeah, back on the bench again at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting convo. Not one I want to discount because 
Again, the volume of questions, it's clearly it's, a feeling. It's clearly a talking point. Yeah. And we, Sam Johnson's really well thought of. Yeah, yeah. And you have to add context. Again, the price tag, the, the wages, it was, you know, as time has passed, it wasn't money spent that was not spent elsewhere. There was money to spend elsewhere. We just didn't get over the line in the summer. But it wasn't a situation that seemed to, like uh, that needed fixing or sorting for us. Um, so it, 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 it's, I can understand the expectation of Sam Johnson versus Henderson is different, should be different. I, I actually agree with that. We're, however much we're going to sell Sam Johnson for, which is going to be a big profit because we've got him in the England squad and, and he's enjoying his football and is a Premier League goalkeeper. It's a really odd one. I, I, it's not a headache I want to give myself. I, I, and I, I would imagine it's not one that Roy is having much of. We've kicked that goalkeeping thing up the road every six months. And I imagine we're going to do it again in the summer when he leaves and we buy another excellent goalkeeper, a really big-name goalkeeper. We'll buy, I don't know, who's, who, we're, going to buy, we're going to buy Aaron Ramsdale or something like that, and then it just all happens again. So... And, you know, it's it's going to be a continuous thing at Palace until further notice, until Whitworth or Goodman are ready to be that number two, I suppose. Yes. Well, I mean, I think we'll leave questions there, but I'm, I'm really hopeful for Palace's sake as much as anything, but also for Dean Henderson's sake. Yeah. He has a blinder on Monday night and we're talking about him contributing towards a win. Because I don't think he's contributing to us losing at the moment, but nor is he having those kind of moments in the, in the, yeah. in the sun think, where you're like, wow, what a goalkeeper. Yeah. So, and, you think, and you think to... His best moments in his career so far, Sheffield United, very busy, but actually a, an outstanding goalkeeping season. The performance is really catching the eye, a fan favourite there. And then at Forest, first, first, home, first home game, outstanding penalty saves, like multiple. It might be one of those. It might be a case where he bails us out with a penalty save and then everything's hunky-dory. But He's a bit quieter. Yes, until then. It's not going away, though. It's not going away. But we'll leave you questions there. Thank you, listeners. We had, as I said, nearly 100 comments, questions this week. And, um, yeah, very, very grateful for those. Um, But join us after the break for part three, where um, we'll screw Andy over and put Mateta bottom, and then Joe and I will (laughs) decide who will be. Welcome back to part three of this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. So before Andy departed us, um, he nominated Jean-Philippe Mateta for his nominee for this week's 3-2-1. He did also give some other honourable mentions, so it'll be interesting to see whether uh, Joe or I pick up on either of those. Um, but yeah, if, if we note that JP is off the board, Joe, um, who do you want to take? <laughs> um, I... I'm going to go with Wharton. Um, I'm really excited about him. Have, you know, I saw I saw a chunk of him at Brighton, and again, it was part of the chat last week. I did leave after an hour, so what I was able to assess of him was was particularly as the game was a little bit was gone in the second half. Didn't really keep an eye on him. Oh, like another another great Dougie Friedman find. I think. You know, he's having to be utilised. 
mm-hmm. probably not in his preferred point of the midfield, and yet made a huge difference playing against two 100 million plus midfielders, certainly in how much was paid for them. Mm-hmm. You, it's up to you, listener, what you agree on, if you agree on those valuations after that. And he was absolutely fine against them. And, you know, again, what I said about the second goal earlier, I wouldn't put that on him as a poor play from him. I think it's just an indication of where we're having to play him at the moment. But ran his socks off, um, loads of interception. I, You know, I was under the impression that he was going to be a sort of ball-playing it certainly has some creative and, and was finding a pass last night, but was not being asked to do that last night and was still getting stuck in like he was a sort of decore uh, cover. And, you know, lots of interceptions, lots of tackles, winning jewels in the defensive areas, which we needed a lot of last night as much as we were a threat on the other way. Um, I, I, As a home debut goes, from what could have been a bit of a tinderbox of atmosphere, having had a debut in that other game and could have just been like, oh my God, what have I walked into? I thought he was excellent. I'll disagree with a word of that. I thought um, very professional, solid debut. Um, And as the game grew on, uh, sorry, as the game went on, he grew into the game. What I loved about his performance last night is how easy he made certain things look. And you're thinking, why doesn't everyone just play the ball first time into space. What's going on? Like, is he, It's like a cheat code. But in the first half, there are a couple of moments where I thought he was a little bit too cute on the ball. He tried to kind of control the ball into space and, and let others kind of go on. They didn't work, which is probably why his pass percentage is actually relatively low, given the, the quality of his performance last night. But in that second half, his ability to find a pass before the ball's come to him, that's going to be invaluable moving forward. And I was at points thinking him with Czech Decore next to him, is going to be very good. Very, very good. And he won't play in that position every week. He he won't be that that six, I guess, as people call it. He will be played more centrally, uh, a bit higher up the pitch. Um, but when, yeah, but when is that? I guess it, I guess between now and May, it won't oh, be Oh, I, I think I'm talking about next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. next season. So um, might, between... we're, we're getting a... We're going to see a hamstrung version of him, essentially, and, yeah, yeah. Yet, and yet it's still... He looks it's making a big difference. Yeah. Because he, he could have been played last week. I think we talked about Lerma yeah. playing the, the pivot and Walton playing where Lerma eventually played last night. The difference, I guess, being in a key reason why maybe that didn't happen was Franca playing. Yeah. So Franca being a little bit defensively irresponsible meant that Lerma had to basically play as that halfway point between left back and, and left wing. And he was positioned there a lot. I've had a look at his heat map early. He's there a lot. So Wharton was more central in that pivot point, but comfortable off two feet, in for a tackle, and most importantly, wears his socks down with with predators on. So it's a good it's points all around for me from Adam Wharton. I thought he was he was really good and a very good home debut. Just a shame it it was in a losing cause, really. But no, very, very, very happy with that. Yeah. Tw- twenty years old as of the last week. Just yeah. Just that's yeah. Very, 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 very exciting. Did highlight, I mean, a lot of comments from people who know that Palace have been watching him for a long time have indicated that Palace went now because they knew that the competition for him would be a struggle in the summer. And I think we saw last night why. Because if he has another season of Premier League football, it's going to look like a a fantastic signing. But if he'd had another season at Championship football, his his star would have shone even brighter in that that division. So... 
Yeah. And also, I, I don't know if it, it's a coincidence or it's a, a very deliberate, you know, as, as that deal was happening and seemingly done, more and more news comes out of Blackburn about the ownership have got some issues back in India. Chaos. The, the, the money's going to dry up. And it just gone. Sale, it's not a fire sale, but some money needs to be found somewhere very quickly. I think if we hadn't have signed him and that news came out, I think it, you'd have had a queue of clubs. It might have been more money if he was playing that well, or it might have been similar money or less, but they were so desperate to get him out of the door yeah. that people were going, well, for that money, we're all in. West Ham's and Bournemouth's and maybe even higher up the table. So I can't, it, rec- it, I can't recall his name, but there was, a, I think, a BBC Lancashire reporter who on the morning, I think it was transfer deadline day, was putting the rumour out that actually that deal might be in jeopardy. That if if this situation with the Blackburn ownership gets worse, then Wharton might not be off to Palace and we might have to restart that all over again. So that, as you say, even more reason to get that deal done as we did. Um, when, when we time them, when we, when we're, when we're, when we're, uh, we're try- when we sign players on the terms and the, the, the time scale that we want to, it rarely is a dud. Like, yeah, the the Elise situation, biding the time, getting a release clause, hey. picking as a, yeah. let's be honest, the text of money being spent as it was, was yeah. a dream because it was a pandemic and clubs were desperate for cash. Yeah. Uh, in, in, you know, not, not, and so we got great deals for people. And when the, when we were able to take advantage, we do very, very well, but you just can't get away with doing that for your entire transfer strategy. There are going to be some moments where you're going to have to just, you know, wince as you open your wallet and take that extra five million out because that's how big their metaphorical wallet is. But a, a bit like uh, Adam Wharton family bought a pint in the Clifton. So yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, I, I'm. Um, we're going to see. Not it's weird. We're not going to see the 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 ultimate Adam Wharton this season in terms of what he is now, and yet it still shows that he's going to make a huge difference. And yeah, games you could you weigh up. Uh, Bournemouth, Bournemouth at home is often a reference game I look to for real warning signs. And this here's why we have a bit more of a systemic problem with, with what we've got. The the onus on a team coming to sell us and going, come on in, have the ball. What, you, what yeah. are you going to do? It. What are you going to do with it without Elise and, and or or as Ebs one of or if not both of them out? And the answer very often, too often, has been. We haven't got an answer for that. We've got four players that turn backwards and and turn in on themselves. Can we call we it have, a draw? <laughs> yeah, Chris Richards in a pivot. Who? Yeah. In def- when he's fighting, great. But when the owners have the ball, not not is the op- complete opposite of that, and he's giving it back to Anderson. Having Walton in those situations is going to change our approach in those games immediately. Yeah. Like in, it's going to revolutionise it in a way that it shouldn't have to, but it will. I, I often think back to. Mamadou Sakho is one of his first games. It might have been his home debut at Sellers. And I remember a long ball coming over. And instead of just heading it out, he took it on his chest, put it down, had a look and passed it. And everyone just kind of held each other. They held, grabbed the fire people next to him and going, what that? What? Could you do that? I didn't know. What, what the hell was that? You're not you allowed do that to do here. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like we've been so pedestrian in those games where a team is happy to kind of, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll soak it up and hit you on a break because chances will come and, you're not you're not very potent in attack. But Burnley's a great example of a game where I think he's going to totally change the way we can approach that game now. And Andy, Andy was you know pretty confident with that game going into it. I I I I'm not until those 
the the final whistle on some of these games because it's just when downward momentum is coming and and even the hopelessness of full time despite the first half performance, you need a win and 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 you need something to show up. And I feel like that is the that water might be the the thing more than anything that is exciting me about. Okay, this is what's going to get us through the worst period we've got here until players come back. I think is him. Yeah. Very well put. I think, yeah, he he is that guy that is probably akin to Elise and Ebbs in terms of manipulation of the ball, putting players into space, as he did in that last third of the game last night. The other thing is, big concern for from my perspective when he came in is, is he going to be physically ready to do it? Well, he did 95 minutes last night and he was still going. Um, that's champ- that's championship about. football, that. That's championship football. That's probably the, the Saturday-Tuesday thing coming into, yeah. into, uh, into play there. But no, very, very positive. Um, the one element of his plan, give a name check to someone else who I thought had a good game, but his home debut last night, Daniel Munoz, I thought, yeah, there were moments where he clearly wanted to go beyond the brief that he'd been instructed and wanted to play another 30, 30 yards further uh, forward. But no, I think he he showed why he's been brought in now. He's that type of signing, Joe, that you mentioned last week about sometimes you just have to get a guy who's ready now and he does look like he's ready. I don't recall him being beaten too easily by any of Chelsea's uh, attacking styles last night, but he's not who I'm going to give my nominee uh, nomination to, nor am I going to give it to Matthias Fanta, who I think we have spoken enough, but I think we gave him his flowers for his performance against Brighton last week. Um, but yes, I thought he did he did well, and I, I want to see more of him. I want to see, particularly in the absence of, of Elise and, and Ebbs, I think we need to, to see more of him. But I'm going to give it to Jefferson Lerma, because I think when you score a goal like that, and you have as good a first half as you saw from Jefferson Lerma last night, I think it needs to be noted. I, I thought he was absolutely outstanding in that first half last night. He did drop off in that second half. Um, I think he was being asked to contribute both ways and eventually he kind of lost sense of particularly going forward and 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 kind of dropped his levels in, in that second half. But that first half was so good, capped off by a, a bloody brilliant goal. So, yeah, Jefferson Lerma for me is uh, is my nominee. First goal for Palace. Do you think uh, he, had a, he probably should have scored at home to Liverpool? Uh, he was a decent Allison save. I felt like I was a broken clock. I kept telling people, do you remember that goal he scored for Bournemouth here, that 5-3? Absolute screamer off the bar. He's got a shot in him. Don't you worry, it's coming. And I mean, what a what an application of that. Like, it was, it was, it stayed hit, as they say. Although I did enjoy it, you know, as, as much as I didn't hear the Petacek analysis, I could see it on the telly, but couldn't hear what Petacek said about Henderson. What I did hear was that Petacek said about that goal, he went, oh, I'd have saved that. Yeah, <laughs> Which is, um, it's just like, okay, I'm sure, I'm, is that right? It's easy to say. From I watched that. Yeah, Sky clipped that up for their socials earlier and I was, was watching that over lunch and uh, he was talking about the keepers, uh, whose name I can't recall, Pe- Petrovic, is it? I think it's Petrovic, yeah. It's, it's, his feet were in the wrong place. I was like, come on now. I was just, right. Just talk about the goal. Just talk about the goal, yeah. mate. I was right behind it from where I stood and I immediately stood up and went, goal. Because yeah. it was like an arrow, and but you could also see it slightly dipping, like rising, which, you know, you could tell the spin of the ball, that's going to flick up a little bit and dip, and but it's going at a rapid pace and straight as an arrow into the top corner. Um, ah, just a lovely, lovely goal and a nice moment. We've si- we've actually, the last four or five goals at Sellers for Palace have been excellent, all of them. Really impressive. That, that trio against Sheffield United were, all of them for different reasons were good. That one, as you said earlier, already contender for February goal of the month, certainly will be Palace's best goal of the month, I imagine, mm-hmm. barring some some excellent stuff in the next couple of weeks. 
really pleased for him and may it be the first of many because I don't know how long his deal is, but that it's I one of the bright least, spots. Of, yeah, at least four, I think. One of the bright spots of this season that when, when, when it get when we get to the summer and we go, God, what was there to enjoy about that? I, I, I would say Jefferson Lerma coming in. Again, when the timing's right and you can get that signing done, brilliant. But you're not going to be able to do that every every with every player you need. While there's a lot of negativity about the play, some of it justified, increasingly justified, we are going to have one hell of a goal of the season competition. To think that Anderson's winner at Old Trafford won't be even be in the conversation, which technically <laughs> yeah. was a wonderful goal. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be at least at Luton. It's going to be last night. It's going to be, well, take your pick from the Sheffield United game. Yeah. At least his kind of acrobatic finish against Brentford. There's so many lovely goals that we've scored in this kind of really negative yeah. period. It's so yeah. peculiar. And, you know, depending on whether your glass is half full or half empty, I, I kind of understand this, the, the discussion around it, which is, well, if we're needing those goals, and we are needing those goals yeah, to stay yeah. in games well, they're, the only games. One, they're the only ones we're bloody scoring. They're the only ones <laughs> we're scoring, which eventually even, you're... Even, Joe, Joe, even, even Mateta's header... Last week, yeah. it's a quality goal. It's an excellent header. Eventually, your XG levels out. As the, that, that's that's for people that don't believe in those kind of stats and think, oh, expected goals, every shot's expected, whatever. One of the, the things that is actually applied by football clubs and when they look and coaching staff is that if you outperforming your XG, eventually that will come back down, and your you you're, those screamers that you're letting fly from thirty five yards every week. They, if a few have gone in, they are going to stop going in. And then it's about what else have you got after that? Are you still creating enough big chances, clear chances outside of those? I would say we're not, and that's a slight worry. But that's that's the thing we need to see now, which is why a Matthias France are coming in um, and hopefully Adam Wharton in the forward parts of the game is going to enable us to have a few more clear-cut chances and take them. Because yeah, if you're looking at the big chances of last night, I think Edward tried to find the perfect time for a shot, and I he, got it. I got it because, but he took so when a he while danced, he danced across the penalty area basically and never got a yes, shot away. Yeah, just, yeah, just waiting to pick his moment. I, I understand, but yeah, also you know it was frustrating. There was and then France from um, twenty yards out. France from twenty yards out. There was another with in the first half with Mateta. Oh yeah, uh, the, I started commentary. I sub- subsequently Henry? heard. Tried to Omri and Gary never went where it's not Omri, it's John Philippe Mateta. <laughs> and that's really, I almost couldn't believe that we were through on goal. Like, from where I was, it, I couldn't quite, it didn't quite occur to me, oh, actually, he's in behind here and, and it's just him and the goalie, but that finish wasn't great. Francis Spoon won as well, I think, in the first half. Yeah, that got a very, foot, uh, yeah. a very kind ooh, and it was actually yeah, miles yeah, wide. Very generous. But yeah, what, 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 does us a big favor between now and the next couple of months prior it is going to be we're going to have to we're going to have to make more clear cut chances we have to take Agreed. them because Lerma can't do that every week if we're leaning on that every week when we're in deep doo doo and and talking about Mateta we we must uh, do Andy a favor by talking about Mateta as good as his performance was last night it's not by being a goal threat it's by being everywhere it's it's the chaos that he brings it's it's everything that he does well but it's not being added to by being that goal threat. His his closest effort last night was that one you mentioned um, that Gary Neffel kindly yeah, uh, dismissed. But if, if I don't know, with Mateta, I just think the longer this succession of high energy, 
performances, which he's contributing a lot to, it just increases the number of games that he has in credit with Hodgson or whoever the manager might be to the point where now I think Mateta could probably have two very bang average games and he would probably still start the third one. Yeah. And I, which, I, which is unusual, which wasn't the case for him prior to previously. Not at all. It was one in one. It was, you know, one and out and you're done. Yeah. Cheers, John Philippe. You, you're gone now, but yeah, he's really about... contributing and he's, he's battering center halves. He like, made that Dezazi who I spoke after the game. I was actually fifth? quite. Go on. I mean, I think he was 30 odd million or something. Okay. Okay. But he is, he, by all accounts, Chelsea side is one of the better signings they've made this season. He made him look average first half. Yeah. He was all over the place trying to manage yeah. Mateo to the point where Mateo's out wide and skinning him. Skinning him like, on the touchline, yeah. What is happening in here? The, um, you know, a player like Thiago Silva's classy and, you know, but his legs aren't there. He's, he's a bit more intelligent off the ball, but still cause problems. You know, first half, there was so much to so much to get, put your heart into watching it. You know, you, you could tell it was still quite limited, broadly speaking. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not completely deluded. We understand the limits of what we were seeing, but we were still causing problems. And Mateta was a, a big part of that. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. He's going to, I think, I think between now and the end of the season, I don't think you're going to see Edward start many games. If, he's, if, if Mateo, even without scoring, is still going to play like that. Uh, as often as he can. He's going to play worse defenders than those two Chelsea centre-backs. And, you know, it's 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 a different Mateta, maybe not in terms of goal-scoring form, but it's different Mateta to... Well, when we signed him, you think when we signed him, Roy was manager. Roy didn't... I think Roy gave him an hour on his debut and then maybe another start, and then that was it. Oh, he scored, he scored, scored, at, Br- scored at Brighton and then disappeared yeah, off the face of the was, earth. And that was it, so... I understand. Yeah, that that's gone now. We we've spoken about how he's using his physicality more, and that is what we need right now. Yeah. Well, he'll have it, and we'll come on to the Everton game in a moment. But he'll have a physical battle on on Monday because Brantway yeah. and Tarkovsky are big boys, and they will yeah. they will fight fire with fire in that sense. So that will be yeah. <laughs> interesting to see how and he gets ho- on with I, that I, one. I hope he's up for the battle. I really do. Yeah. You know, and that 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 will prove once and for all whether it's just the caliber of opposition or whether actually he's his every. He can mix he's, it. He's, he's developing properly here because if, he, well, if he's willing to mix it for that, then we are we're okay. Because Sheffield United should be that team that that apply to that same sort of I guess stereotype, but they were so poor when we played them. Oh, if, if that, rumors are to believe Joe as well, he's coming up against a team on Monday that have had vested interest in him in terms of a transfer target. Yeah. So we shall see. Right, let's divvy up the points. Um, Given Andy's left, I'm I'm very happy to give Jean-Philippe Mateta one point, to be we, honest. We, just, you don't want to extend his lead at the top well, of the that, table. Well, that is the other factor that actually he has a, a distinct possibility of cementing himself at, at top spot. In terms of Wharton and Lerma, you talked about him so glowingly, and I think the innocence of youth and that being his home debut, I'm very comfortable with him getting the three points, I think. I think you're being gracious. I think scoring a goal like that should get you three points, I think. I, I and might... then you add his performance on top of that. Yeah, if the performance had lasted the whole game, I'd have said yes. But okay, fine. The goal was so good. And it was such a great moment. And as I said in the first part, and, and you said some lovely things in terms of it reminded people of why we go and why we stand yeah. in the cold in February. Yeah. And do we've that not had a lot of, we've had so few moments of cheer at Celeste this it, season. It was, even, it was, yeah, it was a great moment, to be honest. Even that's, even the Sheffield United games not that long ago, we've won two home games on a spin prize this Chelsea visit. It's <laughs> easy to forget that. But, 
even that result came with this thing of we nearly threw it away. Oh my god, that was so frustrating. That that yeah, just an unashamedly without just that Great moment. That, that was just a really good moment. Fine, persuaded. Jefferson Lemmer gets a three. I think his first points for quite a while as well. Adam Water yeah. gets the two. Good start, Adam. More of the same, please. And JPM oh, yeah. with the one. Perfect. Um, listen, sorry, we can't pick everyone, but hopefully those three are a fair representation of who you're thinking as we, well. We've done some honourable mentions there that I think are pretty reasonable. You know, I think France, are, there will be some people that would have given France all three. Sure. There will be some people that are quite happy he's nowhere near it. Um, and the same goes for Munoz. From, what I, from some of the assessment last night, I know it's always the most emotional or like full-blooded responses to performances. Some people were, and equally some neutrals watching the thing were going, didn't, didn't think your right back had a good game. Thought he was a bit chaotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I had two different also... texts about Franca from from neutrals. One, oh, he's gonna, he's exciting. He's going to do stuff. The other one being like, can't beat a man. I'm like, okay, who do I believe? Yeah. Well, <laughs> ridiculous. Yep. Just just one thing, actually. Sorry, we haven't touched on uh, Michael Oliver, the referee, last night, who I think towards the end of the game lost the plot a little bit. But with the Lerma goal, there was a 15 second period where I thought the goal was going to be chalked off for some reason. Mm. Because he had his hand to his ear, and I was thinking, "Don't you dare, mate! Yeah. Don't you!" Because the moment was so good, yeah. the goal had to stand. And I don't know what they I haven't looked back at it to see what they were actually querying. But I think those just yeah. those 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 couple of tackles, a couple of clashes that led to the ball breaking yeah. free. It was not the cleanest. It was there was some you know a lot of body to body contact in there. It was like shrugging off as well as tackling. Interested? Not but interested, it was, Michael. Not interested. It, it was. It was. It was. It was. It was laughable. Kind but of talking stuff, about battering centre halves. Just sorry, I should have. References uh, when we're talking about Mateta. There was a, a foul awarded against JPM, which for the life of me, couldn't see how it was a foul. I don't think it was a foul against Mateta. I think it was just two bodies coming together. But Is that the one where Ma- Silva goes off injured? Oh, no, no. no it's uh, it Levi, Levi Colwell. Yeah. And I was it's... just like, Wait, what's going on here? And it, there was another one where Lerma won the ball very fairly to the edge of the penalty area about 30 yards out. Um, I don't know who, I think it was Fernandez or Caicedo possibly at the base of midfield. And he gave a foul for that. And I was like, that's never a foul. Yeah. And I don't think we'd get the same at the other end. I'm not often one that thinks uh, he wouldn't give that at the other end. I think they're generally quite consistent. But for that one, I was like, I don't think we're getting that. But anyway, I can't find excuses. We lost and game over. Anyway, listener, still with us. Uh, join us after the break for part four, where we have a quick preview of the Everton game. Welcome back to part four of this week's FYP podcast. Again, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Um, Monday sees a trip to the northwest uh, at the heart of winter. So, any brave souls who are making uh, a trip to uh, the Mersey to go and see Palace in a difficult run of form, all the credit to you. Joe, yeah. what happened 10 years ago this month? Is that our last win at Goodison Park? Our last win, it's 10 years since the trip to Goodison that got oh, postponed 45 minutes before kickoff due to what both of I can, both of you and I can testify, quite high winds, I would suggest, that evening. Yeah. I remember going, I, remember, I was on a club coach that day and I remember seeing two overturned lorries on the way up there. Yeah, it was not the one. I, I got off on a train or was asked to leave a train at Nuneaton because the train was on fire. And I oh. probably should have thought this is <laughs> not going to be the day for it. Yeah. And we went for a few drinks uh, by 
uh, down at Albert Dock by the Museum of Liverpool, um, and the winds were so high. And I was thinking, ah, oh, we're here. Surely the game's going to go ahead. Yeah. And then we were in a taxi going to the ground, and I saw a traffic sign, those like thin metal ones flying at head height. And I was like, oh, we oh. we shouldn't be outside right now. Right. And then we got to the ground, and there were stewards just saying not happening and it was entirely the right decision i couldn't even yes. bemoan it even though i traveled all that way yeah i could not bemoan it there wasn't there like roof tiles falling off and that was the fire official brigade? reason yeah, that was the official crazy. reason given was that there was like falling debris at the stadium so they just kind of said look this is ridiculous it, the fact that we traveled that far i mean it was gutting and you wanted to go i think the club coach didn't even turn into liverpool i think he just went on a roundabout oh did you not even get into the city no no oh. so there wasn't even like a pit stop or anything it was like right straight back down yeah. motorway and I, I couldn't make it back I couldn't I, I took day off for that that initial trip I couldn't do it the next time yeah so. me too I didn't make the 3-2 either no I had yeah. work commitments I couldn't I couldn't swap it out the 3-2 that actually prevented Everton from qualifying for the Champions League that season so pretty meaningful okay. result that was one of the uh, the five wins on the bounce was it yes and yeah. uh, one of the very rare Cameron Jerome goals as well oh yes Yes, no, our last win at Goodison, Joe, uh, was just a few months after that, the 3-2. Oh, with Belazzi. Uh, Belazzi, uh, Fraser yeah. Campbell, and uh, Jednat penalty. Lovely. Yeah. Those are the days. Those were uh, the days, mate. I uh, I did a video. Days. I made a video. I do this. It's quite a daft thing. It's almost just the Joe remembers Palace players because that's all. I could just do that forever. I just spin a wheel of players and just go, okay, okay. Oh, let's. I want to talk for a minute about that player. And I spoke about Miller Yedinet, and I thought it just all came back to me. I actually did. There's a little clip. I watched all his goals for Palace as well. One of them was that penalty, goods, and I thought, ah, oh, you, you believe so much in that team. You, you and and you need so much of that fight right now. I got a bit carried away. I said I'd have him in as caretaker now before the, between now and the end of the season, but I don't know if I'd go that far. That, but that was one of the many rumors over the weekend that he'd been at Copa's Cope. Uh, in it, it, he wouldn't be able his... to resist it. I don't think he would either. I think he'd absolutely love it. But yeah. maybe uh, a, a future appointment, but I can't see it happening right now. Yeah. But yeah, 10 years since uh, since that night. And uh, yeah, can't believe how quickly time has flown. But, but this weekend, uh, or this Monday even, uh, we go again. And uh, six-pointer, isn't it really? I mean, there's so much unknown about Everton's season in terms of whether they'll get any points back for the uh, point deduction that they've already received or whether... There's more to come for them. I think they don't really know where they land. Oh, sorry, where they lie in 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 terms of their league placing. But as of right now, and as of the next game week, they will start in the bottom three. So, a home fixture against a team that's within sight above them, they'll be looking at this for for three points, won't they? Yeah, definitely. That these are the games they're sounding out. I think when they got their when they first got the points deducted, I think they were very good at just well, certainly the outward outwardly facing. Everton were like, well, look, um, all we can do is win games and win those points back. And they always acted as if it didn't happen. It was, you know, you can't, you know, we'll leave, we'll leave the higher ups to deal with that in courtrooms and hearings, but we can, we can only dictate, we can only affect what's on the pitch. And I think they did very well before slightly dipping and dropping, which I just think is a natural symptom of those situations. You know, everyone's still getting paid on time and stuff, but there's still an uncertainty that comes with that, that I think, bleed through the support into the into the onto the pitch, which is why I'm always such a big proponent of make what you can happen in the stands because God the players feel it and which is, you know, 
as we've seen in recent weeks. Fair play. I've been told it's around so far about 700 who have committed to that trip and God bless every single one of you because the incentive, you know, there's a, there was some hope to take. We're, we're a positive podcast. We're a positive podcast. I think certainly between us two, JD, I don't think anyone would call him a pessimistic person. We, you know, there's not been a lot to hold on to recently. And, you know, the Chelsea game was an example of one where we beforehand were going, we're going to have to just make something up here and just, yeah. just, just get through it. And yet, actually generated some good will, I think, out of that. I think Everton needs to be the same. It's a game we can get something from, regardless of how poor our form is there over the time. The Cup game's a good example. You know, we actually haven't got a couple of those players. You know, Gay was in that game. Yeah, yeah. We lost it to a set piece. Not a shock to anybody, but we had some huge... We created some many chances and big chances in that game. And I think we should be encouraged from that. And as I think back to when we had them at Sellers, I think you stuck in my mind, Jack. You you were the first person I knew that really uh, singled out Jared Brathwaite as a really outstanding centre-back. And I've since kept more of an eye on him. And, oh my gosh, like, he's a late contender for the Euro squad, in Top my rate. opinion. Top rate. They lost at Man City last week, but he it wasn't for a fault of his own. Um, just They do have players like that that can probably get them over the line, Everton, but equally so do we, despite what you might think about the team we're able to put mm. out. I think they can be got out. We should cause them problems because they are shaky. When when they do concede, the, the, the fight, the light goes out. Um, we essentially don't want to give them any hope. Don't, don't, don't give them, a, don't give them anything to get, hold on to that, you know, that Goodison crowd will be trying to lift them on Monday night. They will, as you said, they would have earmarked that as a game Palace are in bad form. Let's get what we can out of this game. Let's actually take it to them. Are are their match winners that they perceive? This is where they come come to light, and I think we should feel the same. I, what do you think with that? Do you think we're going to go there and sit back deep, or do you think we're going to be? I wouldn't say we were adventurous on Monday, but I, I do think that we were positive in a way that we haven't been. Certainly, the France thing was just, you know, again, limited, but you saw the difference it made in terms of just that little bit higher up the pitch we were um, and what we could do as a result, you know. If Seamus Coleman is starting for Everton with Mateus France, they're brilliant. He's not going to have to worry too much about just how much running he can do. Well, if, but it, if it's, if it's if not Seamus Coleman, it's going to be Ashley Young, mate. Yeah. So, okay, so maybe, that's maybe, army. It's Dad's army, whoever they've got. And I would like to think that Branson did enough last night to sustain the team. Is it as, I don't know, is it as binary as home and away and therefore he plays at home but doesn't play away? I don't know. Hope but... not. Hope not. I th- I, the options don't really change for us in the forward areas. Really. It'll be, it's, him or, it's him or Schlupp, it's, isn't it? It's literally him, what we were saying last night in the ground, my cousin and I, it's, it's Schlupp or, or Franza for that position right now. And I think he did enough last night. I really hope, and I know I asked the question earlier, in terms of, it, did he was he at fault for the first goal? He probably is, but as Andy said, I don't think Jeffrey Schlupp's blocking that cross. I think that cross is coming in anyway. And the issue really is how free Conor Gallagher was in the middle of the pitch. So I hope my question didn't kind of give the impression that I'm, I'm anti-Francis, because I'm not. I thought he, he showed some good moments last night. He probably wasn't as good as some would like to make out he was, but equally, no. he did enough for me last night to stay in that team. And if he comes out of that team to be replaced by Jeff Schlupp, 
I don't know how we get up the pitch. Yeah. To be as, as 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 much hope as we've drawn from the Chelsea game. Yeah. I think a poor performance up at Goodison could be the end of a lot of belief, a lot of goodwill, and ultimately the end of that tenure of management. And I really hope that isn't the case for all of those separate points. I really hope that we actually really make a good account of ourselves up there, whether that's a draw or a win. I don't think a good performance is enough to, and, and losing still. I think the hope that would just sap all momentum. Yeah. They start to lose value. Good performances yeah. start to lose value if you start seeing them, particularly when it comes against a relegation rival. Right. And, and, if, and, and that's what some people are considering this to be. And I think it, it probably is a six-pointer for Everton. It's probably a game that we need to avoid defeat as of right now, I would say. Yeah. I hate which is, which is always... Like which bit. is always tough to go a tough game to go into feeling like that when you yeah. know you can just not win. I think we have to almost but is are, are we gonna go into that thinking, let's go well, win it? I don't know. Particularly Joe, when we've seen in certain games, the last two away games, we conceded within the first ten minutes and the game's gone. Yeah. You know, the Emirates game done with a header. Yeah. Well both both set pieces and they are they're a big team, Everton. Oh god, yeah. Set pieces is gonna be uh, be a challenge. But no, I think there's enough last night to think that we, we've got a threat. We need, it might be someone unusual. It might be Jefferson Lerma getting two into it. It might be Jürgen Manasseh getting his first goal for a few months. It might be Chris Richards popping up. Who knows? Yeah. But I think, I think last night, and Andy raised earlier um, about keeping that momentum, I trust that the coaching staff will be able to keep the momentum and the belief going into that fixture. Then it's about the game. And then it's about you know, 90 minutes against Everton in what's going to be a hostile atmosphere. But we'll see. We'll be back again next week to talk that one over. It is a, Who knows? It is I mean, a massive every, game, that one. It's I've, a huge game. The more it's, I think about it, it's absolutely massive. It because defines of what, where the next the rest of the season goes. Actually. Because of what, it's what follows it. Within, within yeah. five days, we've got Burnley, who I think are one of two teams that are pretty much done already mm. at home. And we need to put them to the sword. If you go into that on the back of a positive result at Goodison, be that a point or three... That's one thing. If we lose on Saturday, we're probably going into, I think you called it earlier, what would be the biggest game of the season, quite possibly with a new man in the dugout. Mm. Doesn't get much more perilous than that. And on that note, Lister. <laughs> <laughs> we, it wasn't hopeful. Yeah, we, 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 we were hopeful as well. We started as we could. with the positive. We started with the positive. And like, like, the, ga- like the game had it swept <laughs> from under you. Yeah, lovely. Right. Uh, thank you, Lister. Thanks for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your nice comments about last week's episode. It was a, a tough one and um, we will get Longy back on for sure. A lot of, lot of love for Longy. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for the comments. It is a, it's a tough time, but hopefully we're talking some sense of points. That's all we can really ask for. But grateful for the comments, grateful for the listens. And um, yeah, as, as we showed last night, we're all here in the right, heading in the right direction as one, hopefully. So thanks for, uh, thanks for listening and up the palace. Podcast Network.